Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Man, I love saying that and I love hearing you respond. Thank you so much for being here this morning. If you're a guest with us, if you're a student, Uh, that woke up and came to to church this morning. We are so glad that you are here. If you're joining us online or at our secondary campus over at the church, man, what a great morning to gather together because God is so good, amen? Man, I'm just reminded that this morning we've got a lot of guests with us. We also have kids in the room. We just want to again remind you, this is a family-friendly service. We are so thankful for everyone that is here. And uh, we're okay with a little bit of commotion as we continue to turn our attention now to God's words. If you have a copy of a Bible, I want to grab that and open it up to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19 is where we're going to study this morning as we continue in our series, The Unseen Hand. And I just want, as you're turning there, just to kind of reiterate one of the announcements from this morning was that here in a couple of weeks on February 27th, we're going to be having our next prayer and praise night at the church. And I'm asking you as one of the pastors here to, to come. Maybe you haven't been able to come to many of our prayer or praise nights. Um, perhaps maybe you have a little bit of kind of reservation about coming to this night. Uh, I want to ask you to come as we fill our chapel. We're hoping it's packed in there. Uh, This is going to be a night where we're just going to be praying for what God's doing in our church. We're going to be taking some tours in the building so you can see the progress that's being made. Can you believe we're already six weeks into our relocation? Uh, it's, It's gone by quickly. And uh, we're excited to be back home at our church and our team and the people that are working there are making great progress. Uh, They've they've gotten a long way in the balcony edition and some of the other stuff that's going on there. And so we want to be able to let you see what's going on and then pray specifically that God will use these investments for his glory to continue the work that he's called Salem Heights to be about. So please mark your calendars for February 27th. We'd love to have you join us for that prayer and praise night. A few years ago, I was, I was driving down State Street here in, in Oregon, and uh, I, was, I was excited because I had finished up my work week a little early. I was taking a day off the next day, and I was going to go away with my wife for an extended weekend. And it was one of those days where if there was kind of a cartoon to kind of illustrate what was going on inside of my life, all the birds were chirping, the sun was shining. I mean, I was going to have an extra day off. And so I'm driving home from the Lancaster side of town to the south part of town where I lived. And I was just thinking about this weekend and I was in such a good mood. I was just, you know, admiring all of God's beauty as I drove down State Street. That's, that's rude. Uh, but it was one of those days where I caught myself reading marquees. You know, I'm reading what people have on signs. I'm looking, oh, look at that restaurant. I didn't know that was there. Oh, and then I remember specifically going, oh, what is it saying on Sybil's Omelets Marquee? You know, I just, why did I care? I don't know, but I was in such a good mood. And all of a sudden, I looked back on the road and there was a, a pile of cars that had stopped and I rear-ended the person in front of me. Yeah, the birds stopped chirping. <laughs> the clouds went dark. Everything in a moment changed. Thankfully, no one was hurt. It wasn't a minor accident, but something like that had hit me unexpectedly. And I thought of that story as I was preparing for this morning because in life, things can be going along good. Everything can kind of be falling into place. 
and all of a sudden an unexpected calamity or crisis hits our lives. Can you ever relate to that? Whether it's something like a car accident or unexpected news from your doctor or just a hardship at work, whatever it might be, it is possible that in our lives we can be going along and then something hits us unexpectedly. That was definitely a case for the person we're going to look at this morning in our series, a man named Elijah. In 1 Kings we see this man come on the scene in chapter 17, kind of out of nowhere. We don't have much history or background, but what we know is that he is a man of God. Some biblical commentators call Elijah the greatest biblical prophet after Moses. And in 1 Kings 17, we see him come on the scene and he goes and he confronts the king. He goes boldly to the king of Israel, a man named Ahab, and he confronts Ahab because of his wickedness. It says in the Bible in, in chapter 16 of 1 Kings that Ahab was a man who did evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. He married a woman named Jezebel and they together began to serve Baal, a false god, and to bow and worship to him. King Ahab, this king of Israel, God's chosen people, had chosen to reject the God, the real true God, and actually began to worship a false god, Baal. He built a temple to Baal, an altar to Baal, and actually created other forms of worship to other false gods. And in chapter 16, verse 33, it says this, that Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. This was a wicked, wicked man, a man who was ruthless, a man who was selfish. And here we have a man named Elijah come onto the scene with very little background and he goes to this king and he confronts this king. It's a pretty amazing story. We immediately see this man, Elijah, had a confidence in God that fit his name. His name, his, his name Elijah, means my God is Yahweh. And he goes and he confronts this king. And in the next couple of chapters of 1 Kings, we see not only does God use him as his mouthpiece, but God does a, a number of supernatural works through Elijah. One, authorized, one author summarized Elijah's life like this. Elijah's ministry dazzles us. Ravens bring him food. God uses a widow to provide daily bread for him in Baal's territory. Elijah prays and God raises the widow's son from the dead. Elijah wins the showdown against the prophets of Baal at Carmel. He went down, uh, he calls down fire from heaven and strikes down 450 prophets. Plus he was an athlete. He ran 17 miles from Carmel down to Jezreel outrunning horses and chariots. This was a guy that God had not only sent boldly to go confront a wicked king, but God had been doing powerful things through Elijah. God was using Elijah. He was experiencing God's power. If there was anybody that was going to be like, man, this God is real and he is for me and he has called me into a special calling, it would be Elijah. And then out of nowhere, we come upon chapter 19 and we see a dramatic shift happen in Elijah's life. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. We're going to read all 18 verses, so I'm going to have you remain seated. But as I say, every time we come together and we, we come to this point in the message, we're about to read God's living and active word has the ability to change our lives forever. Do you believe that? Yes. So if you're ready to hear from the word of the Lord, say ready. ready. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> 
Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there and he went on a day's journey until the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and over there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate and drank. And then on the strength of that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and he spent the night. Suddenly the word came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are looking for me to take my life. And then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenants, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus, when you arrive, you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, the son of Nishmi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, over Abel Manoah as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Do you believe that happened? It did. Would you pray with me? Father God, in these next few moments, I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to give us understanding of what you want us to take away from this familiar story on Elijah. And God, I pray that as we look at his life, there would be something in us that stirs our trust and our confidence to trust your unseen hand, even when the unexpected hits. Would you do that for us today? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Throughout this series, we have said that in every generation, God's unseen hand is working all things together for our good and to his glory. And that is even when the unexpected hits. 
You know, if you're like me, we're, we're reading all these stories in, in chapter 17 and 18. I mean, God is using Elijah. He has just done something incredible. He has demonstrated that he is the true and living God. And then in the next chapter, there's this dramatic shift in Elijah's perspective, his attitude and his response to God. And I would have to say that this, this shift in his attitude and perspective is a bit shocking based on what he had witnessed and experienced. But I love what one pastor says about the Bible. He reminds us that scripture makes no attempt to conceal or excuse the blemishes or the faults or the failures of being seen as successful and trusting God and all these times when man just makes a mess of it. Why would God include all of that in his inspired, holy, life-changing word? It's so that we can learn from our biblical heroes. And from learning from their mistakes, we might be able to avoid them ourselves and have the right perspective when the unexpected hits our life. When we go through unexpected hardship or a season of uncertainty. And so there's just three truths this morning from Elijah's life that I want us to consider. I want to highlight that they can help us, if we'll learn these truths, help us have the right perspective and respond rightly to God when the unexpected hardships of life hit us. The first truth that we see here in Elijah's life is that zeal for the Lord doesn't guarantee a life of ease. This has been one of the concerns that I've had a few of you come in and share with me as we've been going through this series on the unseen hand and we're reading these stories that absolutely happen and we're seeing how God always comes through. He always saves the day. He always provides. And sometimes the concern is that we can actually develop the wrong kind of theology that if I'm obedient to God, I will always receive his physical blessing. But what we see here in the story of Elijah is that he says two times in verse 10 and verse 14, Lord, I have been zealous for you. That means I have been completely devoted, completely sold out. I've been living for you. I've been obedient to what you said. And yet he finds himself here threatened by the queen and on the run. It would be wrong to think that my obedience to God guarantees or obligates God to bless my life physically. But what these stories do tell us is that if I worship God with all my heart, if I live for him, I am guaranteed an eternal spiritual blessing that's been secured in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am not guaranteed God's physical resources, although it all belongs to him, but I am guaranteed through the promises of scripture that worship will always provide a relationship with God. And that relationship is the greatest resource because whether I'm going through the highs of life or the lows of life, I don't ever go alone because God is with me. And so that's what we're trying to highlight is that in times of uncertainty, we can trust God's unseen hand because his unseen hand doesn't just represent physical blessing. Although sometimes it does. His physical, or his, excuse me, his unseen hand always guarantees that he is with us and he is spiritually providing himself to be our greatest resource. But so many times in life, we're kind of like, God, I want your stuff. I want your resources so that I can go seize the day rather than I want you. 
We want his resources, but we're not as concerned about the relationship. Elijah describes his devotion here in verses 10 and 14. Lord, I've been zealous for you. And all the work that you've called me to do and all the things that you've called me to go confront, I have done that. And look what it has amounted to. It doesn't seem to have done any good. It doesn't seem to have worked. And then Elijah receives this threat from Jezebel here in verses one and two. And we're reminded that his devotion to God did not prevent adversity. This is the first thing I want us to understand is that the zeal for the Lord doesn't guarantee a life of ease. So what happens when this unexpected adversity hits? Well, what does Elijah do? He runs. He runs. It says that he got this word, this threat from Jezebel, that if I don't do to you what you did to the prophets of Baal, by this time tomorrow, may the gods punish me. And it says in verse three, Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. And some of the Bibles we read talks about when, when, when Elijah saw this or when he heard this or he realized that what had happened the, day, the days ahead where God had defeated the prophets of Baal had not led to a complete change in Israel and that he was still in opposition. He was still facing these threats. He took matters into his own hands. Have you ever done that? been living for the Lord, things are going good and then something hits and then all of a sudden, what do you do? You act out of instinct, not inspiration. How are you doing this morning? See, this is the problem when unexpected adversity hits. And I think this is what God is, one of the things God's trying to highlight in the story of Elijah is that Elijah's been going along, he's been obeying the Lord and the Lord has been faithful. But then something comes along that it just seems like it's like the one straw that broke the camel's back. It wasn't like Elijah hadn't faced opposition or wasn't scared before. I mean, he was going and confronting wicked kings. It was him versus 450 prophets of Baal in their place of worship. I mean, he was definitely on the road. He was definitely not, didn't have a home field advantage. And yet he continued to just trust God and see God do all these things. And then this happens. And when things go wrong, what Elijah does is sometimes what we do is we start to run. We start to take control. Elijah responds out of his instinct rather than the inspiration of God. And this was not, what we had seen so far in the first couple of chapters where we see Elijah in chapter 17 and 18, there are multiple times where Elijah and God are talking to one another and God is giving Elijah instruction, go here, get up and do this. And it says every time Elijah got up and he went, Elijah got up and he went. But this time God did not tell Elijah to go. He just went and he ran for his life. Where it says he went is basically he ran as far away in the opposite direction from where the threat was. Zeal for the Lord doesn't guarantee a life of ease, but that leads us to a question this morning. Where are you running right now? As I look around the room this morning, I know that there are so many things that we are dealing with right now. There are so many hardships that we are enduring. There are so much that we're being challenged by. There are so many things that are left uncertain. We're not a room full of people that have everything going easy. Amen? 
But my question for us this morning, the reminder for us this morning is, where are we running as we endure? Are we running from the problem and from the pain? Are we running to the Lord? I was reading a book this week that had a quote from a British author that said, you know, we, we actually benefit more from being reminded than being instructed. There comes a point in life where we have everything we need. We have all the instruction. It's really about being reminded to just continue to do what we've been told rather than trying to figure out a new way to do it. And so sometimes it's so hard. It's like, all right, God, like I just, this unexpected thing hit. What am I supposed to do? And he's like, the same thing you're always supposed to do. Follow me. Two words, follow me. First thing that we see here that I think we have to learn is that the zeal for the Lord doesn't guarantee a life of ease. But here is the promise and here's where the character of God is beautifully on display for us this morning is our second truth is this. God faithfully responds to despondency with grace and mercy. Can I get an amen? Despondency is that moment where we are completely hopeless. We don't feel like there's any hope in the situation. And what we see here in Elijah's life is that God responds in, a, in accordance to his character that we see throughout the Bible with grace and mercy, even when we become hopeless and we lose our way. It says in verse four, he went a day's journey into the wilderness and he sat under a tree and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors. He's saying, Lord, they've killed all the other prophets. I thought you were doing something special. I just saw you do an amazing thing, but look, it didn't soften Ahab and Jezebel. They're threatening to take my life. It's not working, Lord. So just, let's just end this charade. Take my life. From Elijah's perspective, he had come to a dead end. God had provided a victory in the past, but the opposition still remained. And so he, he says this to the Lord. Take my life, Lord. And then he lay down and he went to sleep under a tree. But look what it, what it says happens here in verse five. It doesn't say the Lord startled him awake by a loud, thunderous, angry voice and said, how dare you? doesn't say that he sends an angel the angel of the Lord touched him didn't slap him didn't shake him didn't stick a pointing finger in his chest touched him and said get up and eat and he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water so he ate and drank and he lay down again. Two times this happens. And what we see here is God's grace and mercy on display. Even though Elijah had run away rather than run to God, even though Elijah had this amazing, just drastic shift in his life, God doesn't respond out of anger. He responds in grace and mercy. We see God's patient provision with us. If right now you're under the conviction that, yeah, I've been going through an unexpected trial, or I've been just going through a long season of heartache and there seems to be nothing that's gonna alleviate it and I have become despondent in my heart and attitude. If I'm honest before the Lord, I've just come to the point like, yeah, I believe in God, he could, but he's choosing not to. So I guess 
I got no hope. You're perhaps being convicted that maybe I should have been running from the pain. I should be running more to the father. And what I'm going to tell you is, Yes, if that's your story. But if you do, here's what you can expect. Grace and mercy in your time of need. There was a pastor who wrote a poem about what Elijah experienced here. And there's a line in it that just, I want to share with you this morning. It says this, Elijah fled to Judah, then beyond Beersheba's well, full 10 more miles and fell exhausted there beneath the spreading boom tree where he sat and asked the Lord that he might die. Instead, he slept. The tree God made to give him shade, then sent an angel down with food who went and woke the prophet thus awake. Instead of death, God gives you cake. By this, you will walk 40 days and 40 nights until you gaze like Moses on the majesty of God. Nor am I sure that he will ever grant you your wish to die. Come now, Elijah, eat and fly. Instead of death, God gives you cake. God faithfully responds to our despondency with grace and mercy. Right here we see God caring for Elijah's physical needs. God cares about all of us. He cares about every part of our being, our spiritual condition, our physical condition. God cares. And he invites Elijah into a conversation. He remains patient with Elijah as Elijah vents to him. He says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah goes into this whole thing about how he had had been so zealous for the Lord. And yet God just let all these people be killed. And there's nobody else left. Lord, there's nobody else that's, that's standing with me. Elijah knew better than this, but in his moment, in his pain, in his frustration, in his fear, he's venting towards the Lord. And is it at that point that we see the Lord change his attitude and change his approach to Elijah? No. We continue to see him be patient. God's patient provision was on display. He found grace, undeserved favor. He found mercy that God didn't call him out for his foolishness. We see God's tenderness towards Elijah in his hopelessness. That's a great promise for us as we go through seasons of of unexpected trial. Is that even though we might slip up in our attitude and we might out of instinct run away from God and then we kind of come to our senses that the Holy Spirit's calling us and inviting us back and we turn to him, even though we want to be like that prodigal son that comes back and we're trying to rehearse the lines that we might confess to God so that he might receive us back and he doesn't even let us get the words out. He's like, I'm so glad you're here. Come here, let me take care of you. I've been here the whole time. That is the promise we see. This is, this is not just a, a story. This is the character of God on display. And it's not just here in Elijah. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying in in Hebrews chapter four, when it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. How you view God will determine where you run. When unexpected calamity hits, if you view God as the one that maybe he's been holding you back or let go of the rope, you're probably not gonna run to him. But what we see here in Elijah's life is that through his spiritual moments of 
uh, being what God is just using him are now in the valley. It wasn't God holding him back. It was God pulling him forward. And it wasn't that God had let go of the rope. God is carefully letting him down in the valley saying, I'm right with you. But he needed that perspective. How you view God will determine where you run. Do you see him as the father of grace and mercy who gives it out freely to those who turn to him, who run to him when the unexpected hits? There's one more truth I want to highlight as we wrap up this morning that we see in Elijah's life. That I think it's really important for us to remember. And that is this spiritual momentum builds as we listen and obey the voice of God. So God is patient with Elijah. He hears him vent. And then in verse 15, he begins to reveal to Elijah something that Elijah should have already known. And that was this, Elijah, I see your need. I've been meeting your need and I already have a plan. Verse 15 says, the Lord said to Elijah, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, you were to anoint Hazel. And he begins to say, I, I want you to, to basically put new leaders in power over Israel who are going to purge out this wickedness of false worship. God's justice is going to happen. And I'm going to actually have somebody come in. I want you to anoint your successor, Elisha. And he's going to come in and he's going to continue to do what I've been having you do. I want you to go back you see, Elijah had momentum. He had momentum. He had this process. He was moving forward. He was trusting God. He was in these really amazing and tough situations. And yet he continued to trust God. God said, go here. And he obeyed him. And then God would come through and just show himself off in an amazing way and use Elijah. But then all of a sudden, Elijah crashed. He's going along. He's trusting the Lord. And then Jezebel gives this threat. And it just, it's like the bike just went right into the bushes. The same can be true for you and for me. Something unexpected hits. We turn our eyes off of Jesus. We stop running towards him and we take control and things just get worse. And all that momentum, all that progress we've been making in our spiritual journey as we've been trusting God and he's been growing our faith and he's been growing our spiritual maturity seems to be like, it just disappears. So how do you and I regain our spiritual momentum? Well, it starts with a single simple step that we see here in Elijah's life. Obey. A few years uh, ago, I, I told you about a story where I had foolishly decided to do a 50-mile bike ride from Corvallis to the coast without any training. And... Uh, there was lots of climbing on these back roads, weaving in and out in, the, in beautiful terrain, but uh, it seemed like it just went straight. We were going to heaven. That's all I saw was blue skies. <laughs> and as my legs cramped and as, as my backside began to hurt and as, as everything was just getting harder and harder, I remembered the advice that was given to me by a couple of the people who went with me is that don't focus on how far we have to go, just keep pedaling. Just push down that next step. And then it's going to prevent another opportunity to push down. And then another opportunity to push down. And you just keep your momentum by the next pedal. You keep pedaling. 
Sometimes we get in these situations when the unexpected hits and we're dazed and confused and we begin to assess the situation and we see all that's gonna take to try to get back going. And sometimes that becomes such a big burden. There's so much pressure. There's so many unanswered questions that we just stay stuck. We stay crashed. Instead of going, I'm gonna get that momentum going again by just taking the next step. I'm gonna push down on that pedal. I'm gonna listen to what God is saying and I'm going to obey. If you were to read from 1 Kings 17 to 2 Kings chapter two, all the different places where Elijah is mentioned, 10 times in Elijah's life, God spoke to him and said, Elijah, I want you to do this. And the next refrain says, and Elijah went and he, and he did what God said, he went. God says, go and Elijah goes. When the unexpected hits our lives, the whisper, the, small, the still small voice of the Lord that, that speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, but speaks to us through his word is, is directing what the response should be. And what we're called to do is to listen to that voice and to obey it. See, momentum is that thing that will get you up the mountain, but then as you go down, you want to continue to pedal so that the next time you can make it through that next valley and come back up. You want to maintain that momentum. You want to maintain that pursuit of that relationship with God. You want to stay in sync with the Heavenly Father. And the way that we do that, the way that we see that demonstrated in Elijah's life is that we listen to the voice of God and we obey it. We don't have to think about all the plans and all the steps and how is it going to look and what should I do here? And we just listen to what he says and we obey. And here's what I'm here to tell you. God never stops speaking. His word never stops giving wisdom. He is saying, I'm giving you everything you need for life and godliness. When the unexpected hits, will you listen to my word and obey it? God's tone throughout this story of Elijah is invitation, not condemnation. And that's what we see in Jesus. Matthew 11, it says that Jesus made this invitation to those who are listening. And he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church family, we've been in this series now for six weeks and we're looking at all these amazing stories that reflect God's unseen hand. God never pulled his hand away from Elijah, even though Elijah ran from God. And when Elijah came to his senses and the Lord continued to pursue him, Elijah turned back in obedience and it says that he obeyed God again and he began to resume building that spiritual momentum of trusting God in the highs and the lows. All these stories that we continue to show you is, is the same character of God on display. It's the same character of God that exists for us today. And so really it's not today about new instruction or new ideas. It's about being reminded that when the unexpected hits, our responsibility is to listen and obey. There's a famous preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I heard a pastor telling a story about him that he, he had gone and he heard Martin Lloyd-Jones preach. He was a British preacher and he, he had been known to have these, these powerful sermons. And then he would stand in the back of the room as the, the message was over and he would, he would talk with people as they left. And 
He was known as being a man that only said two words and he kept saying them to everybody. They'd come and say, oh, pastor, this was such a great message. This is what I learned. And he would respond with the same two words, no matter what the person said, as they came to him and they walked out. His parting words to them as they left the church every Sunday was to keep on. Keep on. My reminder for us, my, my plea for us this morning as Salem Heights Church is that as we continue to walk through a season of excitement, but yet uncertainty, as we continue to experience unexpected challenges in our lives, as we continue to endure challenges that have been part of our lives, it seems like for years, my encouragement is to not run away, but to keep on. To keep on. And when the trials of life hit us unexpectedly, that a simple response is to keep on. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace and the mercy we find in you in our time of need. And God, there, there are many times in our life where we're, we're blindsided by unexpected challenges things that hit us that disorient us, Lord. We, we start to worry. We start to get fearful. We start to try to take matters into our own hands. We try to relieve ourselves of that burden and that pain. And when we take things into our own hands, God, we often make it worse. What we see in this amazing story of Elijah is a man that you called. It seems like an ordinary guy that you called to a specific purpose and he was obedient to you. But then there came a moment that he didn't seem prepared for, something that caught him off guard. And in that moment, he, he reacted out of instinct rather than inspiration. So God, we see this story, we see the warning and we hear it this morning. I pray God that you would help us to evaluate our own hearts. What is it right now that we've been experiencing that we are actually running away from or running to something else for help rather than you? Would you remind us, God, that Whenever we catch ourselves in that moment, if we will turn to you, what we will find is grace and mercy in our time of need. And that all you're asking us to do when we come to our senses is to keep on that simple step of obedience to your word. God, we're thankful for your faithful love to Elijah. We're thankful for your faithful love demonstrated to us through Jesus. And we ask God that you would help us now to trust your unseen hand and to keep on following you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.